Hi, and thank you so much for joining me today on The Gospel Lens. The scripture calls us to be sojourners and exiles, and to view this world in the current age as a place where believers don't fully belong. However, we face a wide variety of experiences and circumstances on our path. So we hope this can be an encouragement, an edification, or challenge as we try to take a microscope to events, experiences, and situations in our lives and ask the question, how does my identity in Christ and the gospel determine my perspective and response to life and events on my exile path? I'm here today with Pastor Will Swim. Will is the pastor of a church near Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan. And we're going to be talking about his experience as a pastor, making decisions about opening, about closing initially, overall making decisions and leadership through this health crisis, and leading his people in maintaining a Christ-centered focus, maintaining peace through all of the uncertainty. You know, we often hear, especially on social media, that we need to be praying for pastors, praying for leaders, and that is true. But often our prayers can be colored heavily by our own opinions about what they should do. For example, you might pray that a pastor would have the wisdom to remain closed and follow health guidelines. Or you might pray that a pastor would have the courage to reopen and, and to return to normal church function. But if you were able to sit down with a pastor and actually ask them, what has their experience been like? What decisions are they facing? What are the difficulties in those decisions? And how can you best pray for them? What kind of answer would you get? So I hope that listening to Will's experience gives you a little bit of a better idea of what it looks like to be making decisions and making some of these difficult choices through this crisis. Because while circumstances and situations and specific contexts can change, the gospel does not change. God's word doesn't change. Our, our need and a pastor's need for prayer does not change. Now, as Will is going to reference during our conversation, the specific context of your church, your pastor, decisions they're facing will be a little bit different. No church is the same, but all of them do share the need for wisdom as they make these decisions. I would also note that this conversation did take place several weeks ago. So some of the information, specifically the health guidelines and details, may have changed since then. But without further ado, let's get started. Here with Pastor Will. Uh, just tell us a little bit, if you want to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your ministry, um, what, you're, what you're doing, where you're at, things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm William Swam. I pastor uh, Plainfield Baptist Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's a, uh, a church that's been planted from an older church that I took. We had to close that church and, and start over uh, because of some of the the building problems and things that we had. And so that's been kind of an exciting, I've pastored this church for five years and we're going on two years uh, since we left the old church and started the new church. And so it's been kind of an exciting five years and a lot of fun and God has done a lot of things. Uh, we're in not necessarily an urban community, but just basically what you would think of as just a regular American community, just a just a regular town, you know, so it's, it's a Grand Rapids is a big town. Greater Grand Rapids has over a million people in it. And we're in one of the, uh, the outlying townships of Grand Rapids. And so it's a, it's a smaller community, but it's pretty dense and pretty busy. And we've got, um, you know, a congregation of about a hundred or so people, uh, give or take, and uh, seeing a lot of uh, new faces and things like that. And so 
so yeah, that's what gives you kind of the idea of where we're at and what it's like. Good. So relatively, we, we could say relatively young post transition then. <laughs> yes. So to, to jump in with sort of a, we'll call this a little more, I guess you could call it a casual question. Obviously this has been a big shakeup for everybody, everything happening over the right. past two months, three months, depending on where you're at, how long it's been affecting you for your family personally, because if I believe you have four children, five, five oh. going on six, uh, for your family personally, or for you personally, what has been the, the phrase I used, I think that I sent over was the standout aspect of all this, or whether you want to look at something that has been the, the most different or the most difficult, something that really, you know, in 10 years, when you think back to this time, what's the one thing that, that will first pop into your head as defining this? I guess for us, uh, the, I, the word isolation keeps coming to mind. Uh, we have, you know, like we've already mentioned, we have a big family and I'm thankful for that. So we've got five kids. Uh, my oldest is seven. And so we are by no means alone or lonely. Um, but uh, we're completely cut off from our church family, um, our extended family. Uh, so they, you know, they haven't seen their, their grandparents in quite a while. They my kids miss their Sunday school teachers and my littlest ones ask about their nursery workers. And so I'm really thankful that we have a big family. I don't know. It's to me, it seems like it'd be a lot harder for folks that don't have a family to, to shelter with. Um, so, but even our family is feeling, you know, the isolation aspect of it where we were pretty social people before we were kind of always, always had the grandparents over for a game night or we're always doing something with some church folks. And that's been completely shut down for almost, I think two months now. And so that's been difficult. We've got, we homeschool our kids. And so um, that really hasn't changed much for us. Everybody else is schooling their kids at home right now. And that's a huge change for most folks. But for us, our kids is our kids school is completely uninterrupted and they'll end on time. And we've got a pretty decent uh, piece of property out in the country. And so our kids and our family has pretty much enjoyed regular everyday life, Mm -hmm. apart from the fact that nobody except for myself has left our home in weeks. And so, you know, they've just, they're not going anywhere. They, they watch, they watch me on TV when we do church. And uh, so everything they do is within the confines of our homestead, I guess. So Mm -hmm. that's been the the standout aspect for us. Yeah, I can definitely, I've, I've got four and I can definitely uh, understand that feeling of even when you're surrounded by people, you can still feel that isolation. Um, yeah. Thinking, and, and you mentioned this, the experience of every believer that I know around the world, regardless of their country, I think at this point uh, is a feeling of isolation, especially from the church family. Mm-hmm. And, and we know when we look at in scripture, how important that is, the, the, that fellowship aspect, not, not just that we gather together to, to hear the word, obviously that's an incredibly important part, but there is that aspect that we need other believers. Right. So when you think about this quarantine time, this isolation time, this, what steps have you taken or what have you, what have you tried to sort of try to maintain that fellowship to balance that, you know, the, the necessary separation while still maintaining what believers for believers is a necessary interaction. Right. Um, well, we're really thankful for uh, the technology that we do have. That's been a huge help. I know that 
there's a lot of churches that either don't have the technology or that, you know, so we've been able to kind of utilize, uh, we've, we've been able to go the technology route and kind of go old school a little bit too, to help with that. So um, obviously all of our uh, time around the word is, is online right now. I do all of my preaching just like this from this desk and uh, just, I take prayer requests and everything live um, and I have people comment in live so that we can give them the feeling that they're together. Uh, so that's helped a lot in that, you know, somebody can send me a text message and let me know that they're watching. And then I call that person out and, and then it kind of gives you that, that feeling of, of fellowship, even though you can't be close together, at least, you know, that so-and-so is also paying attention and watching and, and you hear prayer requests and things like that. So before we do our Sunday morning service online, one of my uh, deacons has uh, taken it upon himself to host a Zoom meeting for anybody that wants to. And so basically uh, about 45 minutes before I go live, everybody that's able to or wants to or can jumps onto that. And that is all of that. The whole of that is just going person by person and getting how are you doing and is there any way we can pray for you and just getting updates. And so that's been a huge help as well. And it helps people kind of stay connected. And then we do a lot of phone calling. Um, I hear frequently how people are reaching out to each other just by picking up the phone and calling each other. I try to encourage that every time I'm on the air, so to speak, I tell people to pick up the phone and, and call somebody. And uh, my family loves making cards. And so we've been, in a constant card making uh, state. And we send those to shut-ins and other folks that we, even, we think uh, would be blessed by those. And then my wife uh, sent out a note to every single lady in the church as well, a personal note, and just to tell them that, that she's thinking of them. So there's a lot of things like that going on. But even with all of that, um, it's not the same. It's not enough, you know, so yeah. it's kind of a stopgap measure mm -hmm. at this point. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of that kind of ministry going on right now and that helps. Um, but we're the whole church. I can kind of feel it. The whole church is longing to get back together again. Yeah. So, but we've, we've done those things to try to help uh, mitigate that time. So I know I, I repeatedly tell we do, we do zoom on Sundays I've said multiple times that I, I love and appreciate the technology we have. You imagine this situation happening you yeah. know, 20 or 30 years ago, um, right. or you think back to previous, you know, the, there's a lot of comparisons to Spanish flu a hundred years ago and try to imagine what this would look like without tools like this and how much, how different or more difficult it would be. But at the same time, every week when we get on zoom, part of me hates that I'm, sitting there on zoom. So I'm like, I don't want to be on right. zoom with everybody. I want <laughs> and at the same time, there is, it is a, a point of thankfulness that we have this. Well, we support a ministry over in the Philippines. Um, it's a radio ministry. And, and from that radio ministry, they've planted 12, maybe 13 uh, mm -hmm. churches over there. And uh, the prayer request that we're getting from them is that, you know, this is not something that those uh, national mm -hmm. churches and those national pastors are capable of doing. And so, you know, a lot of these churches are on islands that are completely isolated. Mm -hmm. 
And since they're not able to meet in the Philippines, you have to have papers to even be able to leave your home. Mm-hmm. So since they are not able to meet at all, uh, the, the ministry has actually had to uh, dip into its calamity fund to help support these pastors because the pastors aren't getting any support mm-hmm. uh, from their own churches anymore uh, because they're not able to get together, period. So, you know, I am really thankful for what we're able to do between, uh, you know, the mail service still working and the online giving and, and the online Bible studies and, and meetings and stuff we're able to do mm-hmm. because uh, in less developed areas, churches are completely shut down, just completely isolated from each other. So as for some states, and I don't know exactly where Michigan falls on the scale of reopenings, um, but for right. some states as they're beginning either to reopen or at least see the date approaching, walk me through as a pastor, what do you think, what do you think through what decisions cross your mind? Obviously I think all of us can agree. We want to see that date. Right. But it's not always so easy as just saying, Oh, well jump in there. There are a lot of considerations. So walk us through what considerations do you make? What's the planning look like? What's the process look like for you as you, as you think what reopening would look like? Right. Well, this is where every single uh, church is going to be unique um, Mm -hmm. because um, for example, in Michigan, though we have a, a governor that, that wants to keep things shut down indefinitely, it seems, um, through just the way it works here, she, her orders have been, churches have been exempt from all of her orders. Mm-hmm. So in Michigan, churches can meet if they were to so choose to do so. But the majority of churches that I'm aware of when this all hit, Uh, went ahead and followed the guidelines and stopped meeting. Right now, I know of a handful of smaller churches in rural communities that have started meeting again. Um, But for example, you know, our church is in a a more densely populated area and is a, is a, a larger congregation than some of these churches. And so every single church is different and every pastor has to kind of think about it differently. I mean, it, the size of your congregation, you know, yeah. a lot of times the guidelines will have a number attached to it. So uh, 50 people, 10 people. Um, I, I've got some pastor friends that are, you know, bivocational and their, their church is probably 12 people. So they haven't really had to worry about those guidelines. Um, the size of your facilities is, is a big deal. Pastors don't have the luxury of just acting without consequences when they make a decision, then they have to live with that decision. So, you know, I've kind of got two groups of people right now. I've got the folks that are saying this is all nonsense and, you know, it's way overblown and, and, you know, we're, we're setting aside our liberties for safety. And then I've got people that are genuinely concerned, Mm. uh, frightened even because people have different personalities. So as a pastor, I've got to bring those two back together again. You know, for me, people spout off, well, you know, the death rate is only this or the statistics are this. But for me, all of those numbers are people, you know, and so I have to consider just like I would do in inclement weather, I have to consider, okay, how much risk am I willing to take with my friends, you know, and with my flock, and uh, I'm accountable for every every one of those decisions. So you have to, you have to consider every single one of those angles and be able to, in a way, be able to kind of defend how you came to the decision that you came to and, and be able to live with it as well. So, cause everything mm-hmm. a pastor does carries the weight of responsibility and accountability 
not just to the Lord, but to the flock and then also to the surrounding community too. So I don't know of a single pastor uh, that, that I'm friends with that has made any quick decisions on this. Uh, mostly because everything changes every single day, yeah. it seems right now. Um, but nobody is out there just playing this by ear or flying by the seat of their pants. Uh, the more organized pastors are coming up with huge policies and plans and how we're going to open and what stage, several stages and things like that. And, uh, you know, so it's like, it's like Jesus said, the principle of who builds a tower without first counting the cost. And that's what pastors are doing right now. That's what I'm doing right now is okay. We, we want to meet, we badly want to meet. And then the question is, okay, at what cost? Some considerations that I've been making are how many of my folks fall into high risk. So my, uh, my lead piano player uh, goes in and out of health issues. Some of those have been ref- respiratory health issues mm-hmm. If we meet and, and she, then she has to come back to church and be exposed and she would be considered a high risk individual. I've got a man in my choir that that's had a lung transplant, you know, so all of these people come to mind uh, when I think about that decision. And then I think about, you know, uh, what are some reasonable steps that we can take to, to mitigate the spread among ourselves? Uh, are we going to ask people to wear masks? Um, Am I going to take chairs out of the sanctuary so that people have to spread out more? Uh, we're, we already had put out hand sanitizer all, all over the place and things like that. Normally on a Sunday morning, we would have uh, coffee and, and treats and fellowship together. And we probably wouldn't do that for a while. Um, you know, when are the kids going to meet for Sunday school again? Can the nursery open back up? Do we check people's temperature before they work in the nursery? All of those yeah. kinds of things. I've been considering what ways can we, can we go to multiple Sunday services so that we limit the size of the group and, and things like that. And so every pastor that I know of is brainstorming right now, but right now uh, our government is not passing down specific guidelines for churches. Churches are basically almost being ignored. We don't, we're not a school. Uh, we're not a community center. Uh, we're not in, what what you would consider an employer you know where they have the movie theaters are shut down and other things like that but we're not a movie theater either Mm -hmm. you know and so it's as a pastor it's like okay i've got to look at all these guidelines and figure out where does the church fall in that and then make the decision okay churches are exempt from at least in michigan churches are exempt from these guidelines so when do I pull the trigger and say, okay, this is how we're going to have church. This is the way we're going to do it. And so, but for us here in Michigan, uh, there is no punishment, but what I do have to figure out is also what's the community going to think too. Mm-hmm. So um, for example, when we first started on our stay at home order, it was right before Easter and during Easter, we send out um, invitations. We have advertisements that are running automatically and things like that. All of this happened and it was all kind of crazy at the beginning. And I had forgotten about those advertisements. And so I had advertisements online saying, join us this Sunday for church that were just going automatically. And I got some pushback on that uh, 
from the online community anyway, saying, Hey, you guys are spreading disease, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I had to get on and say, well, we're not having in-person services right now, you know, and, and kind of clarify and shut that down. And then the, the Easter invitation we sent out, I didn't do anything to stop that because it's got a gospel track in it. Mm-hmm. And so I let that go. And I still got a handful of those back to the church with notes on them telling us why we shouldn't be meeting mm-hmm. and nobody bothered to look and see that we weren't. Yeah. So we don't necessarily care what the world thinks as far as we're going to get the gospel out and we're going to be, you know, take a stand for this and that and the other thing. But at the same time, when this is all over, I still want to be able to have a good testimony in the community. I don't want to be looked at as uh, a reckless nut job church and and hurt the opinion uh, of the church for no good reason. You know, if, if people call us a cult because we're out knocking doors and sharing the gospel and things like that, then we'll gladly take that. Right now, churches that are meeting just because and are taking the stand of, you know, churches never shut down and that kind of thing, and you can't stop churches, those churches are being treated like, uh, and I, I won't name specific churches, but like the churches that have been uh, boycotting and, and protesting military funerals and stuff like that. They're being looked at as reckless and fanatics and, and just crazy. And so they're, they're not getting the message across that I think they intend to get. And they're hurting their people's opinion of them. And, and a lot of churches have taken the stand that we don't want our good to be evil spoken of. And so, you know, we're going to, in the spirit of Romans 13, we're going to follow all the guidelines that we can but I'm also feeling that that's coming to a close, that yeah. people are, are ready to get back in church. And so, so yeah, you have to, pastors are also balancing, okay, like the churches that started doing drive-in services, one of the questions that was uh, put out there with all of these pastors was, okay, how did your community respond to that? So they all wanted to know, was that okay? Because in certain parts of the country, uh, the police were breaking up drive-in churches, churches, and and people were protesting these drive-in churches, saying that they were still spreading uh, this virus. And so, uh, here it's been pretty well accepted, and, and people, some people are even sitting on their porch across from the churches that are doing it and listening to the service. Um, but but so that's a factor. Is okay? Am I going to damage unnecessarily my reputation within the community? Um, and yeah. churches that are planning on meeting are planning on having some pretty well-prepared policies so that they can say, Hey, you know, we are doing everything we can uh, to, to meet and still uh, follow these guidelines. So that's a big common thread that I've been seeing. I think that uh, what you mentioned about not letting your good be evil spoken of is a key. It's a key component, a key factor that can be easy to forget. Yeah. Uh, because if, if, if you meet and it causes someone to say, wow, you guys are really committed to what you believe. We would look at that as a good thing. But right. if you meet and it causes someone to say, wow, you guys are really reckless and just hate people. Right. Then while, while no, that's not the only factor. And all, you're always going to have those people that will speak evil of you no matter what, but you don't want to go out pursuing that. And, and I know there are a lot of, there are a lot of groups that I, I wouldn't say they're pursuing it, but they're definitely not shying away from it either. And it is, Right. It's easy to forget that that is a consideration and not the only one, but it is a consideration. Yeah. And I've heard it put out there that, that churches that are meeting right now 
only care about their offerings, you know, mm-hmm. so they're more, they're more concerned about their, their cash flow than they are about their own yeah. people. So there's that kind of uh, attitude going on around in the world right now regarding mm-hmm. churches that they would rather see us reasonably follow the guidelines because not only are the churches closed, but the mom and pop store down the street is closed too, you know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're not perceived well in the community when we, when we meet just because we can, yeah. you know, kind of thing. So obviously when you look online right now, I don't know that this is necessarily different than normal. You can see a really wide range of opinions yep. about pretty much everything. And COVID-19 is no exception. And you see a lot of emotion pouring out on different social media platforms. There's a lot of emotions, a lot of very strong emotions. Obviously we expect that from, to use the scriptures terminology, those that have no hope. Right. Christians are not necessarily immune to that. They're not immune to uncertainty or fear, anxiety, anger, even like you mentioned, you have some people that are really struggle with fear and uncertainty. You have others that I would say it is fear and uncertainty, but it's also a lot of anger about, you know, liberty or freedoms or things like that. How have you encouraged your people or what, what encouragement would you give to someone listening who maybe says, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm really worried about this, or I'm really angry about this to encourage peace you know we're, we're told as believers to maintain peace and there's not really a lot of qualification you know, maintain peace except for this it's just peace ruling in right. our hearts and so maintaining peace a christ-centered focus and then to to build on that at some point in the future when we're looking at covid19 as sort of in our rearview mirrors and we still have to maintain peace we still want that christ-centered focus what would you want your people walking away theologically what would you want them walking away with well the one of the key factors right now for folks to realize and understand is that um people use isolation to torture other people (laughs) you know so isolation is it's a big deal and i i don't think that people realized um up until we did this how hard it is not to interact with people and to go about your daily life without having that kind of interaction and and you're seeing the the toll it's taking on on individuals in a different way. And so, first of all, folks need to understand: okay, you're angry for a reason, and you're scared for a reason. And the fact that you've had to stay home for a couple of months might just be that reason, and it's certainly yeah. not helping. Um, and then the other thing that even in my own life I found is that um, if you're not drawing closer to the Lord you're going to go down that, that deep, dark path of isolation. So as Christians, even when we are completely isolated, uh, at, you know, as David says over and over and over in the Psalms, we have somebody to, to cry out to. We have somebody to voice our emotions and, and uh, our anxieties and everything too, and that is the Lord. And so one of the things that I have been doing during this time personally and then encouraging my folks to do is all right we should be using the time that we have to try to draw closer to the lord now is the time to you know since you can't maybe you can't go to work first thing in the morning and your excuse has been up until now well you know i got to get up so early i i can't have morning devotions well now's the time you know to start doing that that thing on a daily basis to develop those habits or now's the time to to read that book that you've really wanted to read, you know, and you haven't been able to do. And so that's, I've been encouraging my, our people is just saying, you know, God is using this to draw people to himself. You've been taken out of 
your regular routine and all of the distractions have been shut down at this point, you're probably running out of things to watch online or things to do at home or whatever. And so, you know, all of those distractions are gone. Um, we, we should be seeking the Lord's face in that. We should be spending more time in prayer. Uh, we should be, you know, saturating ourselves in his word. Um, I started, uh, well, pretty much pastors everywhere that I know of right now, they're, they're shying away from their typical sermon structures and going towards the Psalms or going towards the book of Philippians or other, other books like that, that have overarching uh, themes of comfort and encouragement because they feel that they're, they're, congregations really need that right now they need to yeah. hear about joy they need to hear about you know peace and so a lot of the sermons and things like that that are out there right now is centered around those kinds of things so they're shying away from prophecy right now and, and things like that trying to just they understand their folks need that and then i've been doing and i've seen other pastors do this i've been doing a, a daily a devotional type video, which is just two or three minutes. And it's a simple encouraging truth so that every day people get reminded of God's goodness or God's faithfulness, or that he hears us when we pray, or uh, today was, you know, waiting on the Lord. And so little snippets like that to kind of drown, drown out or provide an alternative to all of the, because, because, social media and the internet right now is, is just a cesspool of fear and anger and anxiety. You know, you can't turn on the news without being afraid. You can't go on Facebook without finding anger. And so trying to provide some positivity from the scriptures and remind folks that, listen, our, sor our source of joy and hope and all that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. What's changed is that you've been able to go on autopilot your entire life and all of a sudden everything's come to a screeching halt and you realized you weren't as emotionally or spiritually stable as you thought you were. Yeah. You know, and so it's kind of laid bare for, for everybody, uh, how much they were resting in the Lord in the first place. Mm. And it gives us an opportunity as Christians to say, okay. Um, so I, I need to be deepening in my relationship with the Lord. You know, I need to be drawing on him more. I need to be spending more time in his word. And, uh, you know, so I know of a lot of folks that uh, are, are doing that, are tuning in or watching the devotionals or are subscribing to a devotional type email or something online, or, or we've got folks tuning into our services. Uh, we still do a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and a Wednesday night Bible study. And I've got folks tuning into that that hadn't been to church in years, you know, got a phone call from somebody that had been out of church for a long time that that was been watching those daily videos and said, all right, you know, I, I need you to give me some, some more. I need, I need some good books to read. I need Bible verses to run to. And uh, so, you know, the Lord is literally taking out all of the extra out of so many mm -hmm. people's lives right now. Yeah. Basically exposing to people. Okay. How much were you relying on me in the first place? Yeah. You know? And so that's kind of the base for me as a pastor, I've almost gone just going back to basic, you know, in the Lord, we find our joy in the Lord. We find our strength as a whole. I'm seeing pastors pursue more of the, okay, let's talk about joy. Let's talk about peace. You know, let's mm -hmm. talk about fear and just running to those basic Bible truths that we've had to put into practice 
because as Americans, we really haven't had to sacrifice our time or our money or emotional stability or anything for the Lord in the recent history until all of a sudden now, everything we've been relying on is stripped away. Yeah. And we realize, wow, you know, I was trusting in my job or I was trusting in my, uh, my friends or my family or whatever. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that's all gone. So yeah, it, it gives us an opportunity to even me pursue more time in the word or more time in prayer mm-hmm. and uh, put those things into practice that we thought were just, oh, that's just basic stuff. You know, I don't want to keep you too long. So uh, to bring it's it right. to a close through all of this, and this might overlap with what you were just saying, when you think of you personally, what has he been doing in your heart through this? Uh, what has he been teaching you? What, what passages have maybe I think I mentioned have, have taken on new meaning. A few months ago, I, I was doing a study through Habakkuk. I don't mm-hmm. know that I've ever done an in-depth study in Habakkuk in my entire life, but it was actually amazingly timely. So what has been, he been doing in your heart through this? Uh, for myself, um, and I've, I've heard this echoed with, with other pastors in the area too, um, with all of the, the technology and all of the, all of the things that we've come to get used to, that you know, you've got to have this and you've got to have that and this is how we meet and these are all the things that we do. That's literally all gone. And the only thing pastors can do right now is preach the word, you know? And so uh, it's been kind of amazing to see how the, all of the busyness of the ministry has been taken away and to see how God is still, uh, still building his church, yeah. how how in the absence of my efforts, our church people are reaching out to each other and ministering to each other and in ways that I never would have thought of, you know? And so it's taking all of the activity out of church, uh, but not the productivity, you know? So I think, you know, as a pastor, when I walk into church on a Sunday morning, I'm thinking about, okay, are the slides ready to go? Um, is the sound system working? Is so-and-so in their Sunday school class? It, you know, and all these little things that you have to do in order to have a, a well-run uh, orderly ministry. And right now, uh, I'm more concerned with the prayer requests coming in and uh, the sermon that I'm going to preach. I've heard other pastors say I've really had to, um, and this, this, you know, they they meant this sincerely. I really had to look at my my content that I'm preaching and make sure that it's as good as it possibly can be because people are sitting on their couches at home listening to this and they don't have anything else but what I'm preaching to them. And so I've seen a lot of pastors be challenged by, okay, I need to make sure that I'm putting effort and time and study into these messages now more than ever. And so it's, it's kind of amazing to see that, you know, in spite of us passing the offering plate, God is providing for his church. In spite of us not getting together, uh, people's needs are being met. Uh, in spite of not having prayer, prayer groups on Wednesday night right now, prayer requests are coming in and things like that. And so it kind of puts things in perspective, I guess, for me in that um, I could get really busy and feel like, I'm really busy and I'm being really productive and yet maybe I wasn't being as productive as I thought I was or wasn't putting all the focus where it should have been. 
And so, uh, so that's been kind of a, a humbling experience, you know, getting a, getting a phone call from somebody that uh, I've been trying to figure out how to get back in church for years and getting a phone call from that individual because they saw uh, a two minute video online that I didn't know whether or not it was going to be any good or be any help to anybody was really humbling, you know, because I didn't have them in mind. And so it's just like seeing the Lord do things in people's lives and knowing that I didn't do anything you know, to start that or to, to prompt that. I didn't have to go up behind that person and tap them on the shoulder and say, listen, we need to talk about this. It was all, it was all the Lord and all the spirit. It used to be that pastors spent all of their time in the word and in prayer ministry in the 21st century is it's a lot of busy work, especially if you are the only guy on staff, it's to, to meet the level of expectation that people have. Um, it's a lot of busy work. And a lot of times you neglect the, the word and prayer, you know? So, so I basically pastors and myself, I've been forced to go back to that, you know? And so, and, and that's been a good thing, knowing that if I don't spend time, spend the time in the word and prayer that I need to, none of this is going to work. <laughs> you know, I've been put out of my comfort zone in so many ways, trying to, to keep people engaged. And, you know, I'm technologically capable, not educated very well. So I can try everything, yeah. but getting it all to work and, and be good. And then just have to trust that even if it's not good, the Lord can do something with it. Even brings pastors back to the basics of, you know, the Lord said, I will build my church. And uh, right now he is. Mm -hmm. And I've got, I've got visitors that showed up the week before we went into this that are faithfully tuning in online every week. And that just amazes me because I didn't get to do my follow-up with them. You know, I, I didn't even get all their information. And yet the Lord's brought them back. And so it just, it's been really humbling in that, you know, I'm the under shepherd, he's the good shepherd, and I'm supposed to just be faithful in a couple areas and let him do the rest. And uh, so it's, it's taken all the, all the extras out of that, uh, out of the ministry aspect and put us back to the beginning of listening to the needs of our people, uh, spending time in prayer, yeah. spending time in the word, and knowing that all people get is going to be the message that we preach on Sunday. And it's not going to be covered up by the choir number. You know, it's not going to be, they're not going to get a Sunday school lesson. Yeah. They don't have handouts in their hands and bulletins and all that stuff that can be a kind of a buffer and a distraction. All they get is the word that's being preached. And so it, it's been a unique experience that way. And, you know, and our folks have been, I think for people, for my people, it's made them realize how important it was to get together in the first place. Yeah. You know, because for the most part, church was treated, not by everybody, but by a lot of folks, church is treated as just one more thing to do on my social calendar. Mm -hmm. And if something comes up that I think is more important, then I can set church aside this week and I'll, I'll go next week. But I guarantee the folks that didn't come the week that we met in March are wishing they had because they, they can't, you know? And so yeah. it's been literally taken away from them mm. and, uh, and they're missing it. So, so yeah, I'm getting, getting a lot of folks saying, you know, we just want to be back together again. And so I, I it's really been amazing. That's been our prayer this whole time that the Lord would use this to draw people to himself because all throughout history, 
the Lord uses difficult circumstances to draw people back to himself. The American churches needed that badly. They needed to see the value of meeting together as, as believers. And uh, they needed to see the value of, you know, what's it going to be like if I can't go to church? And we have never, we have never in my, in my lifetime or the lifetime before experienced that. Whereas our fellow believers across the world know exactly what it's like to not be allowed to meet, you know? And so now we're getting just a small taste, not, not even close to what persecuted churches are going through. But I think the American church, the modern church is getting a small taste of, Hey, we're not allowed to meet. We really want to meet. And they're starting to value getting together more than, than maybe they did before. So that I think will be a good thing. I don't know how long that'll carry with them. Hopefully for a long time, people are, are not going to take church for granted when we do finally get back together and be less, maybe be less critical of the, well, we always did it this way or we always did it that way and just be more thankful that we can do it at all, I think. so. My guest today has been Will Swem, the pastor of Plainfield Baptist Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I hope that as you listen to our conversation, that it helps you to better see how you can be in prayer for pastors. You know, this is a difficult time for everyone, especially as we consider how to present Christ and the gospel to the world. And that's just as true for pastors making difficult decisions about churches. Thank you again for sharing your time with us today, and do be in prayer for fellow believers, those in leadership in the body, and for your brothers and sisters around the world as we live in light of who we are in the gospel and who we are in Christ. Thank you.